You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On today's episode of Animation Deliberation, we're covering episode 5 of Amazon Prime's Invincible, titled That Actually Hurt. Stay tuned for that right after these ads that don't necessarily reflect the views of the host or the network. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation deliberation. A conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series, yeah. Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Animation Deliberation. I'm your host, J. Scotty St. Clair, and I'm joined by my co-host, Zuhair Ali. What's up, Zuhair? Same old, same old. How about you? Doing good, doing good, right on. And uh, joining us again from our previous coverage of the first four episodes is Mr. Nathaniel Muzzy. How you doing, buddy? Great, thanks for having me. Feeling pretty lucky to uh, live in a time where every Friday I get episodes of Invincible and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes, indeed. It is quite a time to be alive if you're a fan of not only just comic book stuff, but uh, animation in particular, because... As I mentioned, you know, as we pontificated upon with these first few episodes, this is an awesome show. We're loving it. And that continued right into this fifth episode, um, aptly named That Actually Hurt. So um, I'm excited to get into it. Uh, if you guys want to just go ahead and give, like, your initial thoughts, I will go ahead and give an overhead overall spoiler warning. But uh, if you guys want to just give your initial thoughts and opinions, uh, feel free, whoever wants to take the floor. So I just want to add real quick that My Hero Academia comes out on Saturdays as well. So for me, it's a whole <laughs> trifecta. In the morning, I get Falcon and the Winter Soldier. In the evening time, I get Invincible and then wake up to My Hero the next day. Superhero galore. Yep. Zuhair <laughs> but... has been planting little seeds. So if, if you like My Hero Academia, just be patient. Stay tuned. We will definitely be covering that as well. So Blow up our email at animationdeliberation at gmail.com so that we can speed up the process of recording this show as well. <laughs> Sounds good. Jay Scotty here just got to hop in with a quick correction. That uh, email is actually animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com. So um, don't sweat it, Zuhair. That's what I'm here for. I got you, bud. But in regards to the show that we are talking about today, um, I was actually just texting with my buddy talking about how like this felt very much like a filler episode for a majority of it Hmm. like you get a little bit of the investigation stuff going on and a few things of uh just kind of like the rom-com aspect of it the relationship with omni-man and mark and just kind of how it's going um and then we were covering a lot of another character uh what was his name titan yes yeah so we we got like a lot of his stories i was like why are we covering so much about uh, somebody who just got his ass beat in the first episode. Hmm. Um, but the as the episode went on and the development of everything, it just it got more insane and intense. And we got what I believe is a really cool villain in Machine Head who seems mm-hmm. like a mix of uh, Black Mask and Ultron. Definitely Black Mask vibes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it escalated pretty well. Um, the action towards this ending was insane and uh, i'm sure we have a lot to say about that so let's hear oh, your yeah. thoughts muzzy before i dive into that and miss your opinion <laughs> um yeah so i i guess from I, I get where you're coming from when you say it felt like a filler episode at first but i actually thought it was one of the best episodes we've gotten so far um we get to see uh you know they they touch on issues of race. They touch on issues of privilege. Um, we get the introduction of Battle Beast. Uh, and Titan's storyline is, you know, clearly a Luke Cage storyline. Yep. But at the same time, it, it oddly, you know, it, uh, you know, we gave a spoiler warning, but it ends with Titan kind of taking Machine Head's old role. 
But uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- th- what's weird to me about that is that's how the Luke Cage series ended on season two. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's it's literally just the Luke Cage TV series story well, in a lot of ways. And it's worth mentioning this character Titan is actually uh, portrayed by a, an actor that was on Luke Cage. He portrayed a uh, Copperhead or was it uh, Cottonmouth? Excuse me, Cottonmouth. Yeah, yes. Cottonmouth. Uh, Mahershala Ali. So. And who is awesome yes. in everything he does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to get too off track here, but while we're on the on the subject of some of his his body of work, I I I like him a lot in Alita: Battle Angel. His he didn't have the biggest role in that, and some people might say he was underutilized. But I just I love that film, and I could talk about that film for a long time if you guys let me. But uh... this is not the first <laughs> time this week he's mentioned it either. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but no, I, I do like the fact that you, you bring up all the different themes that were touched on because, yeah, um, there were some scenes that were a little more obvious and then there were the ones that were a little more subtle. And I really did like that discussion where um, Invincible's talking to Titan about teaming up in the first place and Invincible doesn't even know who Machine Head is because, you know, he just doesn't have that perspective. Not only does he is he a rich kid from the suburbs, but just given his his own power set and his inheritance in a way... Um, mm-hmm. we already talked about, you know, Omni-Man kind of looking down on humanity. We see that a little bit, um, from Invincible. So, um, I definitely uh, appreciated some of those more nuanced as- aspects as well. Um, and then another thing, uh, you, you kind of mentioned the, the filler aspect as well, but I, I appreciated the, the montages a little bit because not only did they demonstrate the parallels between these characters and Mark and, uh, Titan, it also showed us how comfortable uh, Mark has become in his, in his powers. You know, those first couple episodes, just every time he took off to fly and land, it was such a struggle for him, and now he seems so confident. It's it's nice to kind of be able to spend time with him, and now he's he's found his groove. We see him in space a lot more now too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he stops an asteroid, a little asteroid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Omni Man says the the one he stopped a couple of years ago was the size of Texas, Ugh. Yeah. And, and that seems to be kind of an ongoing thing with Omni Man during this training. And uh, is like no matter what Mark does, there it's always like a, a backhanded compliment. Ooh, you okay. know, it's always that was good, but I did this. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's just insecurity from Omni Man, if it's part of, you know, Omni Man's motivations for killing the Guardians. Like, I'm, I'm still trying to piece that together. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did talk about how, like, Mark, um, his powers manifesting seemed to be a catalyst for Omni Man. You know, taking certain actions, and chief among those being um, killing the Guardians of the Globe. But. Uh, yeah, he, he definitely, as much as he seems to have dedicated himself to Mark's training and want, wants Mark to take it seriously, uh, he mentions not only at the dinner scene that, you know, this is a lesson you're going to have to learn the hard way, he goes out and shows that he's just not afraid to let Mark learn that lesson the hard way because we've already kind of alluded to the really gory action scene that we get towards the end here with that, that character Battle Beast, but... Omni Man knew that was going on and chose not to intervene yeah. and let. Yeah, let you Mark. see him in the background mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, and, and it, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how strong Battle Beast is. Although mm-hmm. Battle Beast uh, teleports away at the end, so maybe we don't get an answer to that soon. But uh, we didn't it, get a, a, an incredible amount of, of dialogue from Battle Beast, but I think he mentioned something along the lines like he was told that there were warriors worthy of his ability. So maybe maybe he's referring to Omni-Man? Well, he... he yeah, I that that's what I don't know. You know, uh, unclear of what Battle Beast's motivations are other than he seems to be looking for a worthy opponent. So I guess I... You know, we've seen characters like that in all kinds of media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, assuming it takes some time to travel to Earth for him, although he seems to be able to teleport. So, again, unclear, but, like, the the original Guardians are gone, too. Omni-Man di- didn't fight him. So, you know, 
yeah he gets put up against this mismatched team of new guardians right and, and invincible and kind of uh I guess if he was looking for, you know, a foe that could challenge him, he certainly didn't find it among them. No, he didn't. He he lays waste to, to pretty much everyone, and it doesn't seem to be too much of a struggle for him. Yeah, oh. did he kill Samson, or did Sam, did they live? Unclear. I, I was under the impression towards the end, I mean, obviously when the, the action was happening, I thought several key members got taken out, but we already saw... Um, where was it at the, like the cleanup of the original Guardians um, massacre? I think with the character of Immortal, um, I, we still don't know where that's going. But obviously, this world has has some really advanced um, medical techniques. And then it was also showcased when Invincible tried to save that woman that didn't end up making it. But we saw the the yeah. advanced medical capabilities. So I think I think Black Samson might still be in it, but he I. Honestly, I, I don't see how he could have survived what he he went through. I'm not sure if he'll be on the team much longer. He might be on injury reserve for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to what you were saying about Omni Man's intentions, you you mentioned like towards the end regarding like testing what he's capable of and uh, just kind of. I f- I feel like Omni Man's approach is just kind of like a very know your place That's type fair. approach where okay. like there is a bit of like fatherly training and like i want you to be good and i want you to do this and do that but then there's the jealousy aspect that we were talking about last week in regards to like i'm still fucking better than you and you need to remember that (laughs) i will always remind you that i will always be better than you because i'm he seems like that dad who won't let their kid beat him at basketball totally yeah totally (laughs) you know like 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 it's strange to see who is, as far as we know, the most powerful hero, so insecure. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it feels like, is he's super insecure about Mark. Yeah. Like, and that's why he always has to, like, you know, when Mark succeeds, he compliments Mark and then reminds Mark that, oh, I'm still the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was beating myself up last week about forgetting to say this on the cast. Um, but it looks like Omni Man species seems to have their powers fully developed when they grow a full mustache. So maybe he's just stopping his son from growing his. <laughs> oh, okay, that's interesting. So you notice when they, when he was like talking about like his home planet, like every like male that was in the hero role like had like a full stash. <laughs> okay, so that's an interesting observation, and I wouldn't put it past them that the mustache <laughs> is important. Yes. So that's just one more reason to hate the Joss Whedon version of Justice League. Had they kept the the mustache yeah. for the reshoots, we would have had our first uh, Superman on would screen. have been so much more powerful. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I did want to take this opportunity to backpedal a little bit. We were kind of talking about you know the parallels between Titan um, as well as Mark, given those like vignettes and those montages. Um, but as as comfortable as Mark has, um, you know stepped into this role as a superhero and we we see him succeed in a lot of ways uh, he does start to have a bit of a, a a falling out in his personal life with his time management um, with his relationship with amber and then on the opposite side of things that we, we also see that you know um, Titan is not a straight up villain he's not just a a thug he's kind of muscle for hire and he's indebted and he has people in his life that he care, cares very much about. And his daughter specifically has, uh, has connection to Amber and her volunteer work. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about last week with the, um, the shipping aspect of the conversation of why I didn't feel Amber and Mark would make a good couple. And this question, the, this episode helped my answer for that question. Um, because we see, like you just mentioned, the time management is an issue with the training and school and being a hero and all that stuff. And it just kind of showed that like, they didn't have enough of a connection or enough of a bond beforehand to actually like justify, uh, that level of space and time that he's not able to provide. Hmm. Yeah. It, it kind of comes to me that like, I, I feel bad for Amber because, like, 
clearly she's invested in this and and in a lot of ways she's a better person than mark is not that mark's a bad guy sure but like she goes out of her way to help others Mm -hmm. and like you you kind of see her reinvesting herself in the community and she is kind of like in a way, like if if Omni Man is the devil on Mark's shoulder, she's kind of the angel on his shoulder. Hmm. But like, she's paying an emotional price for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. It's kind of tough to see because she is such a a thoughtful and caring character, and you can tell she's she's hurting and uh, doesn't really understand why Mark is treating her this way. But uh, you know, she does appreciate the things that he does do, and and she even mentions that you know the the little notes, the picking up sushi, the going out of the way. And uh, I I did appreciate the fact that um, part of what helped re- reaffirm and reassure their relationship, even though we obviously leave the episode with Mark kind of uh, incapacitated and her not knowing where he is, it was her interactions with Adam Eve that, uh, you know, anytime you're dealing with, like, teenage characters and, and love triangles... It's really easy to kind of like go into that, uh, those tropes of them kind of, I hate to, you know, I, for some reason I'm thinking of the Archie universe. We've got, you know, Archie, Betty and Veronica is is a trope for a reason, but I'm glad that they don't, they don't go that direction with it. The fact that these two have a, a, a conversation, they almost seem to have, you know, just as much in common as Mark has with Amber or as, uh, yeah, as Mark has with Amber and Amber has with Mark and Mark has with Eve. Yeah. I I really like that dynamic. And I like that they didn't just make the female characters fawning, both fawning over Mark and and disliking each other because they both like Mark. Uh, And I I do think on some level, maybe they both do like Mark, but like, Adam is respecting the space. Exactly. Like, and I, I I like that about this show is they're not making they're not making the female characters catty towards each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're not fighting over a boy. Like they're more developed and they have more going on in their lives than just Mark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you did you you mentioned how Amber might be the angel on Mark's shoulder, where Omni Man's the devil. Uh, as soon as you said that, though, I, I couldn't help but think of that dinner scene where uh, he's bringing up, you know, the potential plan to, to team up with Titan, and Omni-Man is very much against it, where Deborah, I would say, is also more the, the angel on his shoulder and the fact that she's kind of keeping him anchored to his humanity. We, we have we talked previously how Amber serves that role as well, as much yeah. as there is the relationship with mark and his two parents where one ties him back to his humanity we kind of have the same thing in his um relationships with these um i won't call them both paramours because i i do think it's kind of refreshing to see a nice and solid friendship between eve and mark and even though there there is the potential for romance there it is just kind of nice to see that they you know we talked about it last episode they it's kind of reversed this time around. Like he asks her, does she need to talk? And she's immediately like, yes. And then backpedals. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. We should, while we're talking about Adam, we, we should uh, talk about some of the things that she went through and some of the revelations we got with her character. She's, um, you know, coming off the last stuff she dealt with Rex cheating on her. And you would think her parents would be in support of her moving on from that. But we find her home life is a is a pretty toxic situation. Yeah, I hate to throw yeah. it out there, but um, uh, her parents kind of reminded me of like a typical Asian household too. Oh, and, but Asian, I mean like like my sub Asian Asian as well. Um, not not speaking out of my realm here, but there oh, was. My, kind of... <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean for my reaction to indicate that I was just no, I for any other like... listeners. Just kind of like I'm speaking out of like somewhat experience or like you know firsthand witness as well. Uh, but there was kind of the vibe of like, oh, we only let you do this because the guy was watching over you and like, oh, we didn't want you to do this anyway. So we're just so happy that you're out of this situation and you're home with us. And there's a very like, we made you so we want to control your actions type of deal. And mm-hmm. it looked like they tried to like let her go through her phase. But now it's just kind of like, okay, you had your fun. You're back home now. 
Um, man, I did not like her parents one bit. Like, she's even talking about the fact, like, dude, like, I got hurt. I lost my team. My boyfriend cheated on me. Like, why are you guys not being the least bit empathetic right now? Like, I'm in a lot of pain right now, and you guys are not making it any better. And, dude, I felt yeah. for her. I'm surprised she didn't run out faster or shrink the whole house before she dipped. <laughs> yeah, her 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 parents are super misogynistic. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and like that that's something you know I, I i the scene's uncomfortable because you know I, I don't know like it's always uncomfortable when you see like a teenage character with like a rough home life but like i i was proud of this show for like tackling issues of misogyny and like her mom with a lot of internalized misogyny mm-hmm. when, you know, their daughter can literally restructure matter. Uh, at least that's what she says. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's that's not enough because she's not a boy. I mean, she's easily more powerful than her explosion from what we've seen so far. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. She's arguably the strongest person on the teen team. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just kind of... It kind of puts the light, yeah, for some people, it doesn't matter how strong you are if you're a girl. Um, and, like, unfortunately, that's her parents are coming with that. And, and like, you know, it, it just, it, it's interesting to see from a cartoon especially that they're willing to tackle that. Mm-hmm, yeah. The, the show kind of, it, it is good that they tackle it and... Um... I guess it's it's kind of played very well because the scene feels almost um, dated and kind of archaic because I, I guess that's because those those ideals and those viewpoints are. But uh, I I love the like the end of that scene like as much as you like you get that trope of like don't you slam that door young lady it's like don't you leave that door there because she basically <laughs> created the door and there yeah. wasn't a door there before <laughs> yeah well and. and- and I mean, this whole episode deals a lot with privilege and mm-hmm. intersectionality, mm-hmm. you know, because we we see how Adam Eve is treated as a woman. We see how Titan is treated as a black man. Mm-hmm. And we see how Amber is dealing with things as a black woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we also see... A mixed household, Mark's household, Nolan is, for intents and purposes, he's Viltrumite, but he he's a white man. Sure. And, you know, we see his Asian wife kind of appalled that he could consider, like, the plight of Titan below them. Yeah. Uh, and she, you know, we she basically says she had to teach her white husband how to care about people who weren't like him. Mm-hmm. when he first came to the planet and you know this this episode really kind of tackles a lot of issues it does yeah one of the one of the big ones was when when omni man was just convinced it's kind of like why does he need to save one person we're talking about saving thousands of people but it's yeah. like one person means somebody means something to hundreds if not thousands of people so like like, a life is a life. If you have the opportunity right. to do something to better somebody else's life, like, why would you not take that chance? Like, what? It's not taking anything away from you. Like, is he wasting his time by, you know, getting the cat out of the tree or stopping a burglar or anything of that sort? Like, how is it How is it beneath him? He has the opportunity to help. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the interesting question of it is it, it, it's literally making making us look at the ethical question of is it better to save one life or to save millions and you know do you have to prioritize or do you just do good when you can do good right right it it does bring that ethical question to up to us as viewers but uh i i can't help but think that um for omni man it's not really a question you know Yes, he does see things on a larger scale and, and, and sees what his potential is, um, but I, I don't think I don't think his intentions are, you know, to save the, the most amount of people because that's the right thing to do. I think he wants to save the, the most amount of people because that's what'll bring him the most I don't uh, 
acclaim or be the best showcasing of his power, I guess, for lack of a, a better way of explaining that. I don't think he's altruistic in his in his motivations. Um, I think I think one of my favorite scenes of it's kind of irrelevant, but it just made me laugh thinking about it was when Titan was on the roof and it was like he was trying to paint Invincible. He's yeah. like, you left a couple letters there, but it was like, paint's expensive and you got a long-ass name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, you know, like, the idea that, like, a supervillain doesn't have the money yeah. to buy paint. Right. Like, you know, like, privilege and money and power, you know, money is power even amongst the, the super criminals and... Yeah, it, it it's it, it's. I thought it was super funny too, but like it is making a point. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, oh shit, you made that very real just now. <laughs> yeah, that one was was played a little more to for laughs, but then uh, when he when we actually see the family for the first time and they kind of play the scene a little menacing, you think he's like um, infiltrating another house to do something nefarious, um, and he actually surprises his daughter. Mm-hmm. with the butterscotch ice cream and she goes oh dad got my text and then the wife's like oh that means we still have service which just shows how indebted they are to machine head machine head controls whether or not their phones are on or off so the first half right. of that was really cute yeah <laughs> yeah uh but while we bring up machine head it, it is a good opportunity to kind of talk about him but uh you referred to him as a black mass character and uh, I did want to point out that Jeffrey Donovan voices him, and they do a lot of auto-tuning on there. But he's he's one of those villains that it's just you relish hating because as much as we were getting, you know, um, these themes of classism, he is very much that Sionis privileged, live life with a silver spoon, and uh, we get the joke a couple of times when Titan slams the desk out of frustration. That was imported Italian maple. <laughs> and then later on, when they bust through the door, and he was prepared for it because of the quantum uh, computing he's capable of because of the chip Titan got for him, again, that door was Im- imported Italian maple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you got your debt I, back. I, I kind of love that, like, for for all his love of expensive things the door and desk are the same material. Like he's got no creativity. (laughs) It's just, it's got a match muzzy. Well, (laughs) and as we've learned, international shipping is a bitch. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) That it is. That it is. Um, So I, I, I talked about how machine head was prepared and we've already kind of alluded to battle beast and this, crazy gruesome um action set piece that goes down there at the end but let's just go ahead and get right into it um so initially it is invincible and titan um taking on who's it battle beast we've got this character that basically has these elastic controllable bands that seem to come out of his chest there's a person that's made out of lava for lack of a better description uh, a robot character, and then the return of that uh, electrical speedster character that we saw uh, Red Rush combat in the first episode. Um, so, Invincible seems to, you know, be able to hold his own initially, uh, but Battle Beast is just a, a force to be reckoned with, which we've already kind of described, so it requires the, the new guardians team to come in and uh we learn that they are very much still working out the kinks and uh i guess before that we kind of got the little scene with them where they were celebrating and having a debriefing yep um which was samson kind of tells them hey you know we did all this damage and did he say that there were civilians hurt yeah like i, I, think, I think it was like few in the hospital and fit like what 20 Two dozen, I think he says. Two dozen yeah. hospitalized. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I did like the breakdown as a tactician, though. Like Rex, kind of yeah. flippant. Like, what? What could I have done about it? He's like, well, this is what you do. You break up the ground. You blow the tires, and then that gives Monster Girl the ability to slow down the bus and save the people. 
But then he even mentioned that like they were they were too busy like competing with each other. I'm like, I'll beat yep. up more than you do. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I I love the way that scene was that was put together so much because mm-hmm. well, I mean, like you said, like they were all like happy and competitive because that's what they did when they were like the number four, number five ranked team. But now it's like, oh, because we're the Guardians of the Globe, like just because we made the team, like we're instantly as good as them, and mm-hmm. think people think as highly of us, and we're awesome. And it's like, no, you guys fucking suck today. Yeah. Like, sure, we you like won the day, but like at what cost? Yep. Yeah, and the disrespect they give Samson for not having powers. Mm. Batman would have never taken that. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Yeah, I mean, he's he makes some really good points, and it all falls on deaf ears, ex- except for Robot. And uh, as they're all kind of walking away and, and blowing them off, Samson's like, can you believe these guys? And then it lingers on Robot, and he looks to Monster Girl, and he says, uh, some of them. <laughs> so I, I think that's interesting. We talked about it on the last episode. The one interaction that they really had together um, was Robot kind of confiding in her and, and telling monster girl that he understands what it's like to not to be seen for something than what you actually are on the inside and she kind of blew him off but that didn't really seem to deter him i don't know if if they're romantic feelings or what but uh robot obviously has a very strong interest and affinity for monster girl yeah um i i i'm also not sure like what what robot's motivations are it kind of seems like he's romantically interested in her. Mm-hmm. And I guess she is 25, but it still feels a little creepy. <laughs> I, I guess he's a robot. He's, who knows how old he is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and, and he says that after she says she's the only one who lost anything in the battle. Right. Because she she lost, she's like a week younger. Yes. Yeah. So. And it, I, I kind of wondered how that worked. So. If she progress- progresses a week younger and then just decides not to use her powers for like three years, will she get three years older? I mean, yeah, I okay. believe so. Okay, interesting. Which makes me wonder if that time displaced alien race, Ooh. like, will, like, if they can take her there and age her up again, and then like, ooh, that's that's really interesting. I hadn't even considered that. That's a a they probably to want a trade off of uh, some kind of recruitment, though. Yeah. Well, uh, Omni Man pretty much destroyed their civilization. That's true. <laughs> so, I don't know if they're there to uh, do anything about it. Yeah, that's but, that's uh, fair. <laughs> um, but I didn't quite see it as romantic feelings. I just figured that like there, there's kind of the relationship of like, how do I explain this? I mean, for for the first part, it's, I think, he feels like she can relate the most because she's the only one where, like, the world sees Monster Girl, but, like, she has this conflict of knowing her identity but not being able to, like, really get it out there. Hmm. And that's how Robot feels as well, in the sense of, like, everyone thinks he's just a robot, but there's a, there actually is an identity. And throughout the last fight, we see him, like, depict a lot of emotion, too. Like, yeah. actually fighting out of, like, anger and fear and uh, very revenge-driven and whatnot. So, I, I, I didn't see it as romantic as much of, like, she was the only one that had the potential to, like, be empathetic towards him. And then, hmm. because of her age, his, like hero nature was just kind of like the protective vibe too yeah yeah 
Yeah, and that could be it. Um, it was more nurturing yeah, than it, it was anything else. I was just going to say, Robot is just like, next to Omni-Man, he's like the the character like I'm most interested in seeing, like, what is this guy actually up to? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we got some more context to that uh, in this episode with that scene with the Mahler twins. We know that he was the benefactor that released them from prison previously, and uh, we actually get to see the cloning process come full form or come full circle. I think it was the previous episode they got the meat from the Burger Mart, which is kind of, yeah. kind of funny that uh, the Mahler twins are made out of Burger Mart meat. But we actually see <laughs> like the the body mature. And then we see the transfer of the consciousness, which I guess it's just kind of like a, a facsimile of the the existing consciousness. And that's why we learn there's this constant bickering about which one is the original. And as soon as they start up, Robot steps out of the shadows and is like, I'll, I'll never understand why you two do that. <laughs> yeah. And he wants the, he needs their cloning expertise. Mm-hmm. Have we seen him take blood from anyone other than Rex? I don't believe so. So are we assuming he's cloning Rex for some reason? Seems, seems to be going that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know where that's going. One Rex is kind of obnoxious <laughs> enough for me, but, uh, <laughs> presumably his clone won't have rex's mind but uh i think yeah, that's what i wanted to get kinda... to is that I, I feel like he just wants to make a body and he likes rex's powers and that's a hmm. power he probably want with like his mental skill set oh interesting also we saw rex and monster girl kind of hit it off after their fight a little bit mm, yeah so i wonder if that has something to do with it Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe that nurture versus romance is is more poignant than we think, and he's actually seeking a a host that would that she would find physically appealing. Yeah, I could, yeah, hmm. I could see that. The other thing I, I took away from that scene, though, is uh, and forgive me, I didn't, I don't have the exact dialogue here, but uh, robot refers to the regenerative, regenerative, regenerative. Yeah, that is such a difficult regenerative. word. Regenerative properties of the Mahler twins' cells. And uh, it seems like whatever his previous plans were, he might have to pivot and use whatever he's got to to help heal Monster Girl. Because last we see, I was I was certain she was dead when we saw Battle Beast take those two rocks and slam her her monster skull between the two. But the last we yeah. saw her, she's on a, a breathing apparatus, and he he mentioned she's on a defib- defibrillator. A lot of tough words today. Yeah, very <sighs> Hulk like. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm just curious, like, part of me wants Robot to be good and, like, just be thinking, like, several steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, who ended up with the quantum chip that was uh, Machine Head Head? Cecil, I think. Okay, yeah, Cecil got it. It did seem that way. And then at the very end, we also see uh, Cecil's Agent Coulson. I don't know his name. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. Let me get it uh, real quick. Yeah. Ex- experimenting with Mark's blood. Chris. Oh, no. Donald Ferguson. Okay. Ferguson. I'm sure by the last episode of this series, I will know his name. <laughs> and then I will forget it by next season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, but, but it, they're experimenting on the blood that they were able to collect from Mark when he, you know, because Mark, they're still saying that what he's he's touch and go right now. They don't know if he's going to make it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty confident because we know this is an adaptation. It's a long running comic series. I, I think Mark's going to be okay. I mean, this might be a defining character moment for him in, in terms of being on Death's Door. Uh, but yeah, he he says something along the lines like they've tried chemicals, diseases, all all sorts of, of various things, but viltrumite cells just don't want to die. Yeah. So. And that's you know obviously they're trying to figure out a way to kill Omni Man, mm-hmm. and that's why Cecil is so into keeping Mark alive and like seeing what Mark can do because I think Cecil's assuming 
that Mark ultimately might be the only one that can kill Omni-Man. Mm, yeah. There's, that's, I would say that's some pretty sound reasoning. Um, but I, I also did notice, you know, we talked about how Omni-Man allowed Mark to be even put in that position. So if they do find some way to have, like, find a weakness for Viltrumites, it's almost his own hubris that allows it to happen. Unless it's, unless he, uh, he might be like robot and might be a few steps ahead as well. I certainly hope not for Deborah's um, safety because uh, she found his bloodied suit, which I, it was kind of weird that he had it hidden in that particular spot, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah. The, the one thing about Nolan is he doesn't seem as like, superhumanly smart <laughs> like, like he doesn't seem dumb he you know he was crafty enough to lure all the guardians together true but like he also doesn't seem like his it's not like his brain is functioning 10 steps ahead that we've seen right yeah that's that's fair i, I, just, I definitely see a lot of arrogance in him yeah 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 a lot of arrogance mm-hmm but uh, in that same scene where they were testing the blood and whatnot, um, I, I mentioned offline that there was a line that I thought could be in- interpreted multiple ways. But Ferguson says he still think uh, blood's still the answer. And like I was wondering, is that a reference to Damien Darkblood? Is Damien Darkblood still the answer? Um, I don't know. I hope so. I hope that character comes back. Me too. <laughs> As someone who's a massive Hellboy fan, like... I I really do want the character that's like a parallel of my favorite character to uh, to come back. Yeah. But yeah, I and it I kind of think Ferguson just meant Mark's blood, but I think the show might have meant both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I could just be pulling at things that aren't there, but oh. well, that's half the fun of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's when true. you said Damien Dark blood i thought you were talking about like damien dark from the Arrowverse and his yeah. blood. i was like are we mixing up universes here no it's just me <laughs> well you gotta imagine robert kirkman was was definitely influenced and inspired by the same comics that you know inspired so many other creators that are are now finally getting the opportunity to have their own creations adapted which is just really cool to see um but the only other thing I wanted to hit on uh, is the fact that we had this partnership with Titan and Mark gets, uh, ends up being indisposed for the time being, but Titan actually does reveal himself to be duplicitous and this was all a setup to put himself in the kingpin position and take Machine Head's position. So Yeah, and, and I don't know if we covered it, but... Ultimately, that fight breaks down with Battle Beast just wrecking everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I should just point out, Battle Beast is uh, voiced by... Oh, no, I'm going to blame... Michael Doran. Uh, Mike, Michael Doran, yeah. Worf. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, like, I, I thought he did an awesome job playing Battle Beast. Obviously, mm-hmm. Battle Beast didn't have a ton of lines. Yeah. But, like, I was like, is he just going to do his Worf voice and, like... But he made it a complete character, and, like, I just kind of loved, like, I love the casting there, mm-hmm. because the casting kind of brings some some additional gravitas to this character that, you know, we don't get a lot of, but he certainly kicks all of the ass in that scene. Yeah. Uh, I, we've, we've talked about it before, but this series really does have a, a star-studded cast and a very talented voice cast, but... Um, with that in mind, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, I've been noticing how Mark's high school is named, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson High. We yes. find out that the principal is Mr. Principal Winslow. Carl Winslow, Reginald Vell Johnson <laughs> is in the show voicing this character and they've made the character look just like him. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. I, I, that one got a, a guffaw from me. <laughs> Rightly so, rightly so. And then just while we're on the on the subject of things that, like, you know, got a laugh or an audible reaction out of us, one line that I, I, I just had to write down, uh, when Mark's quitting his job at the Burger Mart, there's an off-screen employee that yells to the manager, he's like, there's a rat in the mayo again. 
And the manager's like, does it look like I care? (laughs) You're the manager of a restaurant. I would think you would care about that. Yeah, that was... (laughs) And that scene happens very early in the... uh... In the comic, because oh, okay. I, I remember, like, that happens, like, right after he gets his powers in the comic, he quits his job. Oh, okay. Um, and I think they purposely delayed that scene, uh, the quitting scene, just to contrast, like, Invincible's privilege with Titan's lack of privilege. Right. Because Invincible's able to quit his job and just be a superhero where, you know, uh, Titan's working all the time and mm-hmm. still has nothing to show for it. So, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting that they chose to move that scene. And it, it worked for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, it I kind agree. of solidifies my theory about it being uh, the know your place as well. Because right before that scene, we get him in the street in his hero suit just texting Amber. Which I really appreciate that they actually had like typos and corrections and stuff like that. That was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah how yeah. conversation goes. But people are like, he's getting like rocks and cars and shit thrown at him, and he's just kind of like, one second, and like you know, going back to his texting. So it's like, it, yeah, yeah. We mentioned kind of like the the privilege, and you know, good for him that he came from a good household, um, and whatnot. But the the he is getting cocky at this point. We're it's great yeah. that he's more comfortable with his powers in regards to, like, his flight and controlling his strength and everything. But, like, mm-hmm. now he's, like, in public just kind of like, eh, whatever, yeah, I got this. And we see what happens to him. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of took his two steps forward. And by the end of this, he gets his one step back. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Pretty serious step back, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got so many parallels between the two, like... um we already mentioned the the dangling of a, a victim that you're interrogating. Like Titan is doing all these bad things, but he actually ends up doing more endearing actions at the end. Like uh, there's the parallel between Invincible holding up the building and, and letting the people escape, where Titan is the one destroying the building. But uh, Invincible saves these people li- people's lives, but all he does is apologize for the state of the building. That you know the only reason it happened is because he was having this battle. Um, and he doesn't give them any money or anything like that. He just offers his, right. his sympathy. Titan is the one that, you know, gives them a place and money. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I felt like we did, I just wanted to kind of backpedal and, and do talk about that opening action sequence with Titan. Cause I felt like we glossed over it a little bit as gory as that, that final sp- scene was, that was another thing that was like kind of uh, a good example of juxt- juxtaposition as easy as things were for, invincible like this action sequence was awesome to see titan go roll in there and as much as he's like destroying everybody it's not exactly easy for him and he's even got that sequence where like the guy's unloading on him with the gatling gun and he's forced to fling that handgun right into his forehead oh man oh yeah yeah it was intense yeah yeah they uh they don't pull any punches with the animation on this one yeah, yeah. Because then you got the guy that tries to shoot him at point blank rage, and the bullet just goes right back into his head. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, really interesting and dynamic ways to showcase, you know, these power sets, and it just a, a testament to animation being able to consistently show us these big, larger than life action set pieces. And I just think if people have ever, I mean, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously haven't written off animation, but Anybody out there that just, like, they see something animated and they kind of overlook it, you're really just doing a, a disservice to yourself because this is where you really get some of the the best action and some of the best storytelling because you don't have quite the same restraints as far as, as budgets go. Tell them how you really feel, Jay Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, based off that action scene, I think we got a good uh, sense of his personality as well when it came to the bodyguards when he was stealing the chip. And he was mm-hmm. like, dude, you guys get paid minimum age minimum wage like do you really want to die over this right now and you see them just all like shooting at the ceiling just to make look look like they did their jobs while he just like walks out with it yeah yeah and he doesn't kill the little kid uh right when he's kicking the other gang off their turf that message is for you right right and that that sequence with um in the when he's stealing the computer chip and he does like tell the guards to like shoot towards the ceiling i that made me think like how 
ineffective is like the police force in this universe or like how like have they just like complacent have they become and they just like rest on their laurels or like anybody that just like you see all these shots like fired up into the ceiling it, it's going to be pretty obvious what went down but maybe maybe it's just a world where people they they live with these larger than life characters they don't sweat the small stuff like that i don't know but they covered all that in the opening dialogue yeah. of the show yeah i was gonna say there the the security guards talking about uh superhuman training and how like how pointless it is like right, to, right, right like right. learn how to roll away from lasers yeah and then again uh the mars mission where like mark is supposed to kind of stay hidden because humans need a win mm-hmm. yeah like, that's fair i i think you're absolutely right that like yeah, security guards totally ineffectual in this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one of the big things in um, in My Hero Academia is that the world has evolved to a point where it's like it's very uncommon for somebody to not have an ability of some sort, and mm-hmm. the main character is one of the few people who doesn't have one. It was just kind of like, holy crap, there's still a human that doesn't have one type of thing. This this show kind of feels like the early stages of that, where it's like they're seeing that transition between uh humans and the quantity of superpowered people and just kind of being like well like they kind of ruled this place we're just here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no I, yeah it's that's that's those are great points you guys bring up and it's just yeah um that's that's the thing about like 45 minute episodes like you get so much world building we're only five episodes in and we have such a, a keen understanding of these characters in this world that we live in um sure. did you guys have any you know closing thoughts or predictions for the the next episode upcoming i mean it's a cliffhanger in the fact that we have mark kind of uh you know clinging for life but as as i mentioned i'm pretty confident he's gonna pull through i i would say the thing i'm looking forward to most is the how amber um responds to his absence and how he's going to acknowledge because i imagine he's he's going to be you know He's not going to come out of this without any any bruises or anything like that. She's going to see that he got messed up, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they tackle that. Uh, I just have two small questions. Okay. Uh, when Battle Beast was finishing up the fight with Invincible and they slowed down the motion of the arms going up to pound in his chest, did anybody else at that moment think, like, okay, this is where Man's going to fly in and stop him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I expected him to scream out "Dad" or something like that for a second. Yeah, like when that happened, I was like, "Someone's gonna come in," and they actually pounded his chest. Like I jumped on the sofa, so like, "Holy shit!" They just broke the main character. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, I I I, I didn't expect them to do that, but like, I I was curious how Omni Man would respond because like, would he fly in, say save Invincible, and say, "I told you so." turns out no mm-hmm. which is like another strike against omni man not that like he doesn't have a million strikes <laughs> against him um but yeah it it kind of just makes you wonder what his motivation was there you know but uh, which, as, as far as yeah. letting that happen yeah which brings up my next question, that if he was watching outside of the building the whole time, did he see his son, like, nearly die and then make sure that he was home early enough for his wife to get the phone call and pretend to be all surprised? He sure did. Because yeah. he was walking in from the sliding door when she was on the phone with Cecil. Yep. I was like, you bastard. Hmm. Yeah, he... Lot of lot of not great dads in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Is it arguable that Titan is the best father in this episode? No, Not totally. very arguable. But totally yeah. arguable. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, he he did he did uh, get a bunch of people hurt and or killed to take power of a criminal organization, but he's the only dad that brought home ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair. To be fair, he was killing like gang organizations and drug dealers too. So it's like, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and he like, did tell like, them to stop. So, uh... like, like low key Titan best dad, yeah, <laughs> father of the year Titan. Well, as much as I talked about um, the fallout between Amber and and Invincible's relationship, you got to wonder now that that Titan is in this position. 
and Invincible is going to remember what he did to him. Is is Titan going to be the the big bad of the season? Because they sure as hell made me like him quite a bit in just this episode. We've also got Robot out there, so uh, I mean Battle Beast is still out there. Obviously, Nolan Omni Man is a very menacing presence. I, it's just yeah, I I really don't know where they're going to go. I think we have you know three episodes left as as we're led to believe it, it could go anywhere if we have the parallel of invincible being the guy in the sky and titan being like the street level person i could feel i could see them collaborating a lot mm. where it's like invincible is like i don't like what you do but we need to work together from time to time which is the same thing that was kind of like what happened in luke cage which is kind of like well i can't yeah. stop these people from doing what they do on the street so i'm just gonna supervise it uh, yeah, it'll, it, like I said, it'll be interesting to see where they, they go with it. But I imagine that uh, Invincible's feeling pretty jaded. So if they do find a resolution and an understanding, um, I'd, I'd give them praise for it, for taking a different approach. But my expectation that is, uh, is that Invincible's going to have an axe to grind. He's feeling the mode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not to, not to drag the episode open... Oh, again, but uh, I should just point out uh, that uh, we see Invincible kind of loses cool in this episode during that fight, too. Yep. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. He screams, like, I'll fucking kill all of you or something. Yeah, he's like, you're all done. Or, like, and then he... Yeah. Yeah. Who's next? And that's when he goes up against yeah. Battle Battle Beast. I want to keep calling him Battle Cat, but... Yeah. <laughs> 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 I love that character design. I don't know if that's from the comics, but like, yeah. When I was looking it up, there was uh, more comic panels than there was like scenes from the show. Okay, oh, cool. Yeah, I, I just like yeah. From Amazon, I knew the character was Battle Beast, and because uh, I, I was like that voice is familiar. Who's doing this voice? Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Michael Dorn. Um, but yeah, like obviously later in the comics than I ever read to. And now, now that I'm watching the show, I don't want to read the comics and spoil myself. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I'm like between seasons, maybe I can read some of the comics. Yeah. But I don't want to ruin the next season. So now, now I'm in that position that I I think a lot of game, game of Thrones fans. I was just going to say, wait for the TV show to finish, (laughs) then read the book. Right. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the way I'm going to go. But it, it really has inspired me to to want to pick up the the comic source material. So just a, a testament to what an excellent adaptation it is and just quality entertainment. We already said it. It's a great time to be a fan of, of just fandom stuff in general, but especially animation with series like this um, coming out all the time. All right, well, that's going to do it for another episode of Animation Deliberation. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you've got any feedback for us, you can hit us up at animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jscottforreal. And uh, please follow uh, Stranded Panda, everything that that network's doing, strandedpanda.com. You can join the Stranded Panda Army. There is a family of shows there that are all geared towards this uh, geek fandom content uh the marvel cinematic universe podcast star trek universe podcast uh, as well as the star wars universe podcast and uh bingers assemble pandavision and the superhero ethics podcast so please take a look at all the wonderful things we're doing there and support the awesome endeavors there that's going to do it for me you guys got anything you want to plug Stranded Panda Trivia and After Dark on Twitch every Wednesday at twitch.tv slash strandedpandatv. Uh, you usually find all three of us hanging out there after dark. Uh, I, I guess I haven't been there as much lately due to a series of complications, but mm. uh, I'll, I'll get back on the horse. Um, other than that, uh, there's the Facebook group, which Scotty mentioned, but... Uh, um, very active group of people, a lot of talk of MCU stuff, uh, but trying to get a little more of uh, the Invincible talk going on on Fridays Yes, uh, th- through all the Falcon and Winter-, Winter Soldier debate. Yeah, you need a machete to cut through that. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Zuhair, say your line. Stay whelmed.
right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Cause plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance it was hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today there's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun but to the smoking tire the s-curve and the spin turn and if you ride it make sure you do it in a dodge charger challenger or durango because on this highway the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.